When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Dave Hill. The DJ plays I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett. And you're like, well, yeah, that's like a really great song. But trust me, when Snoop Dogg is standing there doing absolutely nothing while it's playing, that's the best fucking song you ever heard. That and more. But before that, I just wanted to say that we are looking for your story pitches right now for three kinds of stories in particular. If you live in New York or Los Angeles especially, but you can live anywhere in the world because we also do our radio style stories from over Skype and stuff like that. But if you live in New York and Los Angeles especially, we're looking for scary stories for our Halloween shows and our Halloween episode. And we're looking for wintertime holidays stories like Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, all that sort of thing. So if you have a good scary story or a wintertime holiday story, pitch it to us. Now, if you live in New York, we're also putting together another collaborative show with a body storytelling with Dixie De La Tour out of San Francisco. We're going to be doing this show in November. That's November 14th at the Bell House. But pitch us your stories for, you know, anything kinky. Uh, The theme of the night is pervert, but we're looking for any sort of sexual adventure kind of stories. You know, the, the kind that we've done with body storytelling before, if you look back at some of those episodes. And where do you send your pitches? You just go to risk-show.com slash submissions. And everything you need to know is there. There's a nice video you can watch. There's an audio you can listen to. All sorts of helpful tips on how to pitch us your stories. Also, these days you can get practically everything you want on demand, like this podcast, for example. You can listen to Risk whenever is convenient for you. So why are you still taking trips to the post office in order to mail letters and packages? You can get your postage on demand with Stamps.com. Listen, we've been doing this for the past seven or so years, and we absolutely love it. With Stamps.com, you can access all of the amazing services of the post office, but right from your own desk, 24-7, whenever it's convenient for you. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, using your own computer and printer, and then the mail carrier picks it up. You just click, print, mail, you're done. It couldn't be easier. Like I said, at both risk and 
and the story studio. We have been using stamps.com for so long now that it's just second nature. It seems like a no brainer to be mailing this way because it's so much more convenient than all those trips to the post office. And right now you can use risk for this special offer. It includes up to $55 free postage, a digital scale and a four week trial. So don't wait, go to stamps.com before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Chris Pritham behind me now, and we are calling this week's episode Confusion. These are three stories that have actually been sitting in our vaults for a while. Every now and then we like to go back and say, oh my gosh, here are these stories we've been meaning to run for forever, and let's just finally get them out there. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Dave Hill, who is one of our favorites and a good friend of the show. But before that, we're going to hear a story that was first shared with us in, well, this is the recording of the time it was shared with us in 2015, back when Risk was still at the People's Improv Theater in Manhattan. It's a story told by the storyteller and writer Jessica Lee Williamson who you can find at jessicaleewilliamson.com. Here she is now with a story we call I've Got a Little List. When I was in my early 20s, I was living in Miami and dating this guy named Eddie who looked a little like Tom Cruise and acted a lot like Tom Cruise. I always thought of him as the poor man's Tom Cruise because he was intensely passionate, but it was always about semi-shitty things. (laughs) Like, imagine Tom Cruise jumping on Oprah's yellow couch. Now imagine he's doing it because someone offered him a free sample of spinach dip at Costco. (laughs) That was my boyfriend, Eddie. Uh, I met him at a piano bar. If you've ever heard the song Piano Man, you know that a piano bar is a place where sad people with no direction in life (laughs) go to drink when they're feeling lonely. Uh, What I'm basically trying to say is that it was a dark time in my life. Uh, I had not had a boyfriend since I was 15 years old. I had, however, slept with what some might consider a lot of people. Uh, 
a big part of that was because I grew up in a small town uh, where you had to do bad things in order to feel like you were living. <laughs> so I was bored. Uh, also, there were a couple times where I felt like I should. Like, uh, when I was 16, this guy took me to a dinner at the Olive Garden, which at the time seemed very fancy to me, so I was like, why would I not do it? Uh, and then, of course, uh, there were times where I did it because I thought it would make people like me. And I remember uh, one night making a list of every guy I had ever made out with. And then next to certain names that I did more than just make out with, I drew a star. <laughs> and I did it for fun. But when you see your sexual history charted out like that on a piece of loose leaf paper, uh, it can make you feel not so great. And so by that night at the piano bar, I had come to the decision and came up with this idea that all my problems would be solved if I found an actual boyfriend. And then there was Eddie, fist pumping to a Steely Dan cover song, <laughs> saying they never make music like this anymore. And uh, after that, like we spent all our time together and did that thing where you discover everything about each other, which turned out to be mostly things that neither one of us liked. Uh, like, he would complain that I fell asleep all the time too early or that I watched too much reality television. I felt that he was bad with money because he spent his rent money one month on a car stereo as a birthday gift to himself. Uh, also, I started to notice that he might have a jealous streak when he asked me if I had ever been with a guy with a big package and did not react well to my answer. Um, and so before I knew it, we were fighting all the time. And so two weeks into it, I was like, I want to break up with this guy, but I am terrible with confrontation. And even though our relationship was not one that was based in love or lust, we had this deep connection in the sense that neither one of us wanted to be alone. Uh, so nine months later, we were moving out to California together. <laughs> and uh, we were driving through Arizona. <laughs> we, were at, we were laughing and having fun. And uh, he turned to me and he said, how many people have you slept with? And I was like, I don't think I should tell you that. <laughs> He's like, come on, we're having fun. I'm not gonna judge you. And I had my doubts, but we were having fun. So <laughs> I decided I would lie and tell him a lower number just to be on the safe side. So I said, 11 people and he just got really quiet. And uh, he's just gripping the steering wheel, staring out at the road. His face was getting really red. And when he finally did talk, he just said that I was horrible with a W. Um, <laughs> and 
we agreed that we should break up and that he would uh, drop me off at the Phoenix airport where I would fly back to Miami. But we missed our exit. <laughs> and uh, 24 hours later, we were moving into our new apartment. <laughs> in Oxnard, California, for which we optimistically signed a one-year lease. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, there were some good times, you guys. Like, we had some epic Yahtzee marathons, and uh, also Eddie's favorite, happy hour margaritas at Applebee's, but uh, it always ended in one person pushing the other person's buttons, or one person calling the other person a whore. <laughs> uh, so one night, uh, he found this old diary I had been carting around, and tucked in it was that list I had made. And you guys, there were more than 11 stars <laughs> on that list. And, uh... I told him it was an invite list to a birthday party. <laughs> and that the people with stars next to their names were VIPs, which, if you think about, is kind of true. <laughs> Maybe like in a grocery store club card VIP, kind of like where all you have to do is give your phone number, but still. And, uh, he kept shouting, what do the stars mean? And I felt like he probably knew that the stars meant that it was people I had slept with. Like it was pretty obvious it wasn't a birthday party because I didn't invite any girls. <laughs> but when he was shouting, what do the stars mean? I think what he was saying was, what do the stars mean to you? And at the time, they meant mistakes to me and things that I felt embarrassed about. And if that was the case, then I felt like Eddie should probably get a star next to his name too. Like, because there were these things that I was like doing to, you know, make my, I was like doing one thing to try and that was making me feel bad. So then doing another thing that would still make me feel bad, which was basically, our relationship and so eventually I got over my fear of confrontation and I broke up with Eddie via post-it note <laughs> but that was not the end of my list uh, there was a guy who was really fun but also happened to be an alcoholic and my boss and he liked sleeping with all the waitresses, much to my chagrin, so he got a star. And then there was another guy who was really intellectual and successful, but he never took his socks off, not even in the shower. And he also thought that dogs should have to sleep outside, so he got a star too. <laughs> but then there was the last guy who I married. And so he just got a circle around his name. <laughs> because uh, he was really nice and funny and kind. And he was the kind of person who 
made me feel like I was a good person and never made me feel like I should have to apologize, like I had always been a good person. And so after that, if I would think about what do the stars mean now, I would say that they feel less like mistakes and more like just moments in time where I was figuring out what I didn't want in order to figure out what I did. Thanks. Pretty lady, I have something to show you. The account of my master's seductions. It's a list that's been long in production. Pay attention and read it with me. Pay attention and read it with me. First Italian 640. Then the Germans 230. In France, only 19 Turkey, but here in Spain, here in Spain, 1,003, 1,003, 1,003. Hi, how are you? I'm incredible. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my st- I, I opened for uh, Snoop Dogg recently. Yeah. It was pretty cool. All right, I'll tell you. Um, no, so Snoop Dogg was doing a show in Austin, Texas at Austin City Limits. Uh, Moody Theater, like legendary venue, really cool place. And the, so the show was supposed to be Snoop Dogg in a local Austin soul band. And you're like, well, that sounds like the greatest show ever. Like, you can't make that any better. But then I guess the promoters were like, no, let's take this to the next level. What if we get a comedian from the suburbs of Cleveland on the show? And um, <laughs> so they call me up. And they're like, Dave, do you want to come down from uh, New York and open for Snoop Dogg? And I'm like, yeah, no one in my family's ever done that before. (laughs) My dad's going to be so proud. That's why Grandpa fought in the war. And uh, so I get on a plane, I fly the fuck down there. And and I I get to the theater and it's sold out like 2,000 people. And admittedly, most of them are like, post-grad kind of like investment banger types, but the cool kind that still keep in touch with all the guys in the frat. And, um, <laughs> and they're out just rocking, you know? And uh, so I, guess, er, I, I go backstage, and backstage is like packed with people milling around. And I'm like, Snoop Dogg's nowhere to be found. I don't see him anywhere, but his massive security guys are everywhere. And they're just these, like the biggest guys you've ever seen, like genetically modified to guard the fuck out of Snoop Dogg. And uh, they're just kind of walking around with this cool kind of air of like calm, but also menace in like a really cool way. And uh, I'm like, that is awesome. And... uh, and it, it's like showtime, and I'm up first, so the stage manager's just like, Dave, come on, yeah, it's time to go. So uh, he leads me out to the side of the stage, and the lights go down, and like 2,000 people are like, yeah, fuck 
like, yeah, it's just time for the Snoop Dogg show. I don't know if Snoop's coming out, but if he's not coming out, I bet one of his really cool friends is coming out. And, and I'm just standing there on the side, like, let me at him. And, um, and I'm waiting, waiting to go on, like, come on. And, um, and before I got there, like, one of Snoop Dogg's, like, massive, uh, security guards like walks over to over to me and he's like excuse me who are you and what are you doing and i'm i'm like i'm dave i'm the comedian i'm gonna start the show and uh and he's just like hang on one second and he walks over and he talks to like one of the other massive security guys and they're kind of looking at me like pointing up and down like i don't know either and uh and then he just walks over and he just goes like go for it and i was like <laughs> And I'm like, thanks a lot, mister. You're not going to regret this. And uh, they turn the lights up, and I, I start walking on. 2,000 people are like, yeah, what the fuck is this? And, and so I start going into my act. And like, even like under the best circumstances, when the crowd is on my side, like, it's not for everyone. I get that. And... Uh, but this is definitely not my crowd, so I think they were just like, what, what, I guess, I think they just thought I was like a roadie, like testing out the mic for like a really long time. They're like, oh, he's really having trouble dialing that in. And, um, and they just start going back and like talking to each other, like at full volume. And normally like when you're doing comedy, if like two people in the audience are talking, like it's like really distracting, but if like 2,000 people, <laughs> are talking at, at like full volume. It's like a negative experience for the performer. And, uh, <laughs> but I just like, uh, you know, just like forged ahead and got through it and said goodnight. And then the soul band comes out and they're awesome. And they finish and I'm like, all right, now it's time for the Snoop Dogg concert. I can't wait. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm like, I'll go out in the crowd and I'm gonna go out to Snoop Dogg. And before I can though, the stage manager's like, Dave, uh, we need you to go out there and uh, do another set. And I was like, well, how long do you want me to do this time? And he's just, he's like, well, see how it goes. And I was like, we know how it's gonna go, motherfucker. Like, they hate me. He's like, just get out there. You know, so I did another 20 minutes. Um, but before I go out, so keep in mind though, before I go out, so like he's like, just get out there. And like, so the lights go down again, right? And at this point, 2,000 people are 100% certain that Snoop Dogg, one of the greatest rappers of all time, one of the most famous human beings on earth, is about to walk on stage. They're positive. What else could possibly be about to happen? That Snoop Dogg is gonna come on stage. So the lights go down again, they're just like And the lights go up and I walk out there. And if you thought they were disappointed the first time I came on, this time they were just like hurt. They're like, you motherfucker. And, uh, but I, I got through, I got through this uh, finish, and then I got there, and then it's time for the Snoop Dogg show. So I'm like, oh, finally, I'm done. I'm gonna go out, and uh, I'm gonna watch Snoop Dogg. So I go out in the back of the, the venue, and like Snoop Dogg comes out. It's like 10 o'clock at night. We're indoors. He's wearing sunglasses. He doesn't give a fuck. And uh, <laughs> he's got a hockey jersey on. There's no game. And, uh, <laughs> and he just starts doing all his songs. You know, he does like gin and juice, drop it like it's hot. 
and all the other, whatever the other ones are. And, um, <laughs> and then a couple times he just like, will just stand there and like tell the DJ to play a song. So the DJ's like puts on someone else's song and he just kind of stands there. And like, you're like, well, that sounds like cheating, Dave. And, uh, but like, for example, like he put, he, the DJ plays I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett. And you're like, well, yeah, that's like a really great song. But trust me, when Snoop Dogg is standing there doing absolutely nothing while it's playing, that's the best fucking song you ever heard. <laughs> and he did that like a few times, and you're like, I don't, he did it again. It's incredible. <laughs> and then like he's got these girls that run around, and they shake their butts, and that was really nice. And then he's got uh, like this guy with like a big dog like a mascot head like a dog's head and he's getting people even more excited uh than they already were and uh and then every couple songs like the guy with the dog head on would strap on like a six foot long like dog dick like stuffed animal dog dick, and just start whipping it all over he's doing helicopters he knows what i'm talking about and um He's just whipping the dog dick all over them and just like throttling people and smacking people. People are like flying all over the place, getting hit. And you're like, well, that sounds horrible, but trust me, if you're there, you're like, I was just like, get out of the way. I want to get hit by that dog dick. And I'm like, go up to the front. I'm just getting th just throttled, like whipped around like a rag doll by this, this massive dog dick, you know? And I'm like fading in and out of consciousness. And finally, I was like, I, I got to take a break. And, um... So I go uh, to the back of the venue and I'm standing there, you know, watching Snoop Dogg in the back and this guy walks up to me and he kind of looks like a villain from like a John Hughes movie, right? Only now, now he's all grown up and has like a job and stuff. And, uh, and he's like, uh, hey, uh, you're that guy that was up there, right? Like he doesn't even say like comedian or even performer or even roadie. He's just like, you're that guy. And I was like, yeah, that, that was me. And uh, he's like, so what was the idea? What did they tell you to just go out there and confuse everybody? <laughs> and I'm like, well, no, I'm a comedian. I was just, I was just doing my act. And he's like, no, drop it. Tell me the truth. Did they just tell you to go out there and make everyone really uncomfortable for a really long time? And I'm like, no, like I'm a professional comedian. Like that's what you saw. I travel all over the world, and that's, that's how I make my way in life. And, uh, and he's just like, uh, yeah, well, uh, me and my friends didn't laugh once. And he just kind of backed away, and I was like, could have done without that. Um, and then I was thinking about it, and I was like, maybe he's right. Maybe the reason I was asked to do this show was to just like kind of stretch out the night and like keep the bar open and make people so uncomfortable. They're like, oh God, I need a drink, you need a drink. Oh, I can't. So and I'm like, maybe that was the thing. I'm like, maybe I should just start marketing myself that way. Like, <laughs> double your bar business, hire Dave Hill. Like he'll drive everyone to drink. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, this kind of sucks. I feel kind of used. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to, after the show, I'll just go get my bag and I'll go back to the hotel. So the show finishes and I'm, I'm kind of bummed out. And I go backstage and I was like, well, I still haven't met Snoop. I have to meet Snoop Dogg, right? And so I'm waiting around and, and like everyone's leaving. Like the, it's like almost, and people are like sweeping up around my feet. And I'm like, I know Snoop is still here somewhere. I got to meet Snoop. And so sure enough, finally I hear like, doo -doo -doo, and it's like the, the security guards are like Jurassic Park, right? And like, like there's the glass of water by me and like those rings are going, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, he's coming. And, um, 
And so I walk over, and the security guard, the guy that had talked to me by the side of the stage, he just goes like, I walk up, and he's like, who are you, and what are you doing? I'm like, I'm Dave from earlier in the story. And, uh, and I was like, what do you want? And I was like, I, I was wondering if I could get my picture with Snoop, because I'm in my 40s. And, uh, and he's like, no, you, you can't get a picture. And I was like, come on, man, this, this sucks. Like, I had a really bad night. Just let me get my picture with Snoop. And he talks to the other security guards, and they're like, all right. And they kind of part ways, and Snoop just kind of levitates forward. <laughs> and he's like, got this like beatific glow and everything. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, Snoop, I, I'm the comedian. I opened the show. Just wondering if I could get a picture. And he's like, yeah, sure. And um, so I take my phone, and I'll show anyone uh, this photo <laughs> after the show if you want. Like, so... Snoop looks really cool and like, I look fine, but I have a massive booger right here. <laughs> and, uh, and then, but I'm, you know, and, and, and so I'm like, all right, thanks a lot, Snoop. And I, when I start walking away and Snoop starts walking the other way and he gets about like 10 feet away when he goes, excuse me, stop. Do you anyone see that like old 70s Coke commercial with me and Joe Green? Even if you're young, you could have seen it on, like, YouTube. <laughs> the old people saw it. Um, no, it's just, come on, you'll see. I, all right, fuck that reference. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so he just goes, like, he gets, like, 10 feet away, and he's like, he's like, excuse me. And I'm like, yeah, what, Snoop? And he's like, uh, what's your name, sir? And I'm like, I'm Dave. I'm, I'm Dave Hill. And then Snoop just goes, I'm going to look out for you. And I'm just like... Oh, this is the best fucking night of my life. Oh my, and I'm thinking like, and like, you know, looking back, like, I realized he was probably just saying like, oh, on the extremely tiny chance that we're ever on the same bill again, I might poke out the dressing room and see you for one second. But like, by the time I was like, I think Snoop's telling me like he's got my back in a sometimes cruel and unforgiving world. And uh, I'm like, oh, oh my God. And I'm like freaking out. And I turned to him, I'm like, I'm going to look out for you too, Snoop. Only he's blocks away at this point. But anyway, thank you very much. Bye. Every up and finish so you can watch Clueless I laugh at these niggas when they ask who do this But everybody know who girl that you is
This is Rez. This is Snoop Dogg with uh, Pharrell and Uncle Charlie Wilson behind me now. And we just heard from Dave Hill, who you can find at DaveHillOnline.com. And before that, we heard a little uh, <laughs> English translation of the aria in Don Giovanni, where Don Giovanni's servant, Leporello, shares with a lady the epic list of all the women that Don Giovanni has seduced for uh, reference back to the list from uh, Jessica Lee Williamson's story. Let me tell you, we are so, so, so deeply grateful to the people who support us on Patreon. Right now, I have to give a shout out to a bunch of people who have just signed up to give us $25 a month or more. They are Daria Browner, Santiago Garfunkel, Christy James, Taylor Mitchell, Sarah Anthony, and Jeremy Griswold. Oh my gosh, we are so thankful for your support. It is very, very greatly needed, and it is very greatly appreciated. You know, a woman just wrote to us, just emailed us this morning, and said, you know, there's something going on with your podcast, like a movement of inclusion and acceptance. She said, maybe I'm overstating it, but I don't think so. People write that kind of thing to us all the time. Last week, a young man wrote to us. He told us this little story. He said, This past month, my band played a festival in Pennsylvania. And during another band set, my bandmate nudged me and gave me a look like, Oh man, check this freak out. And it was a guy in a dress and makeup minding their own business. And pre-risk... I would have said something venomous to join in with my bandmates making fun of this guy. But post-risk, I had to take a few minutes and challenge my friends. I know that doesn't sound like such a big deal, but it's just one recent example of how I'm processing things differently. Through hearing stories of the other which I would otherwise not be able to experience. Your podcast has made me a more accepting person to those who don't share my worldview or lifestyle. Over on the Risk Fans discussion page on Facebook, a woman said, everyone's putting their best and brightest moments on social media for everyone else to see. It's so easy to start comparing and to become super aware of our perceived shortcomings. There's also this huge unspoken societal obligation to be quote-unquote normal, to be quiet, to move on from life-altering events seamlessly. But that isn't life. And risk is life unfiltered. And finally, one more woman wrote to us, Listening has not only made me more empathetic to other people, but it's allowed me to forgive myself for some feelings that I've had about experiences in my past. So yeah, we are always so touched when our fans share those sorts of things with us. And if you feel any of those feelings, give us a hand. Go on over to patreon.com slash risk and become a patron of ours for any amount. You know, it could be $1 a month, $5, $10, $25 or more. There's all kinds of bonus content there. In fact, 
We just uploaded a conversation between myself and JC Cassis for about an hour. We talked about the behind the scenes process of how we make risk. There's lots of bonus stories there. So much to find at patreon.com slash risk. Our final story comes to us from the 2015 live show that we did in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, I remember that was a messy night. A lot of things went wrong, haywire, as things sometimes go with a really risky bit of live theater. But our final performer here did a great job in the midst of that crazy evening. This is Lucky Yates. He is the voice of Krieger on the FX series Archer, and he's actually done voices on a lot of other shows as well. You can find him on Twitter, at Lucky Yates, and here he is now with a story we call Ambushed. Oh yeah, there's something about you. Hi guys, how you doing? Uh, my name is Lucky Yates, uh, and I am going to tell you the story of the worst thing that ever happened to me. So bear with me. What was I doing in Berkeley, California in 2004? I'm not a hippie. Uh, what was I doing walking up a dark side street uh, well after midnight on a Saturday night? What were those no less than four but no more than five guys doing following me up that side street and why the fuck does that one guy keep doing that with his foot and just scuffing it on the ground and why is it getting closer to me let's find out shall we i was in berkeley california in 2004 doing a production of The Comedy of Errors by William Shakespeare for the California Shakespeare Festival. It was a half-puppet, half-live-actor version. I am a puppeteer, as well as all the other crap that I do. I was out there. I was already there for a month and a half. I had rehearsed the show and trained the puppeteers, and then we were already in productions, and it was halfway through the production. And I was out on a Saturday night with my friend Joy, who was an administrator on the show, and we were having drinks after the show at a bar called the Albatross in Berkeley. And the Albatross was the first dog bar I'd ever seen. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a dog bar, but it's a bar where you can bring your dog. I'm a dog owner. The first time I walked into the Albatross, I was like, what the fuck? There's goddamn dogs in here. I can drink and play with dogs and we're inside. And this is 2004, so people were smoking and shit. And it was like California and there was weed being passed around. It was amazing. So the Albatross immediately became our place. So Joy and I are there having a nice after show cocktail. I have no more than two bourbons. Uh, I think I only had one. Uh, We're going to wrap it up because I got a matinee the next day. We leave the bar. Joy takes... Her leave to my left, because she's parked that away. And I got to go to the right and up around the block, because that's where I parked my car. Now, I go up the street toward the corner where I got to turn, and I was born and raised in Detroit. And from Detroit, I then moved to New York City. And from New York City, I then came to Atlanta. So, 
I am very aware. I have learned throughout the course of my life to be very aware of what's going on around me on the street because lots of bad shit happens on the street. I've been held up. I don't know if you ever have. It sucks. So I go up the side street toward my car. Before I turn the corner, though, I notice there were four black guys. Whatever the fuck. Who cares? Right? It's a big city. I'm on a main drag. I turn up the street. And because I keep aware of myself, I hear this after I'm up not even a quarter of the block. I hear a scuff on the street. And I look back behind me. And the gentlemen have proceeded up the street that I just turned on. Now, whatever. There's no big red flags going on at this point because they have every right to walk up the same side street that I did. Was I a little nervous? Of course, dude. What the fuck are you going to do? There's four dudes behind me and they just turned up a dark, weird side street that I'm parked on. But whatever. I'm not freaking out or anything like that. So I'm walking and then I hear the scuff again. And then I turn and look behind me and the, let's say, four guys have fanned out across the street. And I was like, oh, fuck. They've essentially formed a human net. Like, if I went back to the main drag, I gotta go through these dudes. And I was like, all right, that's a bad sign. Oh, fuck. I think they might be coming for me. So I kind of step it up a little bit, but not too much. I'm trying to look cool and not look like an asshole by going like, look, you, you're scary because you're different, meh. Um, I walk a few more steps and I'm hustling. I hear the scrape again and I look behind me and they're no more than 10 feet behind me and I'm like, fuck. They're coming for me. Fuck, 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 fuck. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? You got two choices in this world because we're animals. It's fight or flight. I am not a stranger to fight. I grew up fighting all my friends and enemies and all that shit. I've been in more fist fights than I care to talk about. Whatever. It was just the way it was in the 70s. You didn't like a kid, you beat him up. Anyway, I'm not going to fucking turn and fight four dudes, right? Like, I'm way outnumbered. I've had some cocktails. I'm just some stupid fucking puppeteer out from nowhere. I'm in their zone. Shit, I got to run. But... I don't want to take off and look like an asshole again. But then I hear the scuff and I look and they're like right there. No more than a step and a half behind me. And I'm like, fuck, this is it. If I don't go now, I can't go. So I start. And man, as soon as I took that first step, it was like being attacked by an octopus from behind. There were just fucking arms wrapped all around me. And as soon as I knew I was caught, punches started in. And I mean, it was mostly directed toward my face and neck area. But it was just nothing but a series of punches and guys holding me. And I'm trying, like, my dad was a boxer and shit like that. So he taught me how to defend and all that when I was a little kid. So I'm trying to defend and all that stuff. But I'm also trying to yell for help because there are some houses around, but I can't get any words out because I'm being fucking beaten hard. And I'm screaming, I'm like, no, don't, stop, stop. And there's just punches coming from everywhere and arms and there's dudes all around me and there's nothing I can do. And I figure, fuck, if they're robbing me, just give them a shit. 
So I start pulling everything out of my pockets. I pull out the keys and I pull out whatever cell phone we were carrying in 2004. It was probably a bar phone uh, and the car keys of the rental car they gave me and my wallet. And I'm like, here's all my shit. Here's all my shit. There it is. Take, just take it. Go, go, go. Stop. And it just punches, 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 punches. Lights out. An undisclosed amount of time later, I come to and I'm walking down the street and my first thought is, boy, I sure am hungry. I could use a sandwich. <laughs> and as I'm walking along, I look around and I'm like, oh, it's nighttime. Why, why would I have a sandwich now? Sandwich is a lunchtime treat. <laughs> and then I notice that there's street lights and everything and I'm around, I'm near a main drag and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Where am I? What is this? And I'm like, oh shit, I was at that bar, the dog bar. I was in the dog bar. I should go back to the dog bar. Where is that? And by the time I sort of figure this all out, I'm back at the main drag. And I look to my right and there's the albatross. So I'm like, oh fuck, awesome. There's the dog bar. Let me go to the bar. And I get up to the door and the young hippie that's working the door of the albatross looks up and he's like, oh my fucking God, what happened to you? And I was like, what? And he's like, sit down, sit down, sit down. Are you okay? What's wrong? Are you okay? Jesus Christ, did, were you in an accident? And I was like, what? And I looked down and everything down here is just soaked in blood of my own. Uh, my shirt, my jacket, my pants, my shoes just coated like really deeply coated in blood and I was like oh fuck right a bunch of guys just beat me up around the corner fuck I should do something he's like just stay right there and he runs inside to call an ambulance and I'm sitting out there for a couple of minutes and patrons are coming in and out of the bar and I'm just like fucking blood and grossness right in front of them and I, I, I still can't put it all together yet and then the next thing I know, there's an ambulance there and there's a cop car there and a woman is checking me out and EMT is looking at everything and the cop is asking me a bunch of questions and I'm trying to figure out what was going on and the cop asks me, did they take anything? And I was like, oh shit, I don't know. I pulled it all out. Maybe they did. And the kid working the door said, well, where were you? And I was like, well, I was right around the block. And he went running. Two minutes later, dude comes back with all my shit. There's my phone, there's my keys, there's my wallet, nothing gone. So next thing I know, I'm being shoved in the back of an ambulance. And I don't know if you guys have ever ridden in an ambulance, but that shit is an assault to the senses. It's bright white. Uh, there's a bunch of weird equipment shit. People are poking and prodding you. There was a cop there asking me a bunch of questions. And I was like, I don't know. I'm about a puppeteer. I don't know what happened. Uh, then I'm in, a, I'm in a hospital and they're cleaning gravel out of my face and then they shove me in an MRI machine and then they got me back out and then the cop is asking me more questions and then I go, oh shit, I have a show tomorrow. <laughs> Fuck, I gotta call my stage manager, I'm in a show tomorrow and they're like, you're not in a show tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. I have to call and tell them that I can't be at the show. I can't just not show up. So it was like fucking 2.30 in the morning and they give me a phone and I call my stage manager. And, eh, I'm in a hospital because a bunch of guys beat me up so I won't be there tomorrow. Bye. Uh, professional till the end, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and then the cop finally wraps it up and he's about to split and he's like, well, 
it's more than likely it's, it's a gang initiation. This happens, gangs from Oakland come in to Berkeley, they beat up people, they get in a gang, and they split. Like, uh, fuck. All right. So uh, they stitch up above my eye and underneath my eye. They give me a ticket for a cab that's waiting out front. Here you go. Just go get in that cab. Bye. And I'm like, okay. And on my way out of the hospital, uh, a doctor is just coming in. And he looks at me and he goes, oof. What happened to you? And I went, bunch of dudes jump me and he looks at my face and he goes ugh it's gonna get a lot worse before it gets better <laughs> it did uh, so I got home I got in the cab I got home I took off all my blood soaked clothing and put it in the washing machine and then just lost my shit right I just started bawling out cause fuck dude I was just through some horrifying traumatic experience and I don't know almost died I have no idea. I blacked out. What happened? Mm. Anyway, uh, you know, I call my parents and I'm fucking bawling out. I'm like, why do bad things happen? Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I get through the day. I don't see anybody. This is weird, too. All the administrators, uh, except for the girl I was with, who I don't even know if she knows, they go and do the show, but then they all have things they have to do because Monday is a dark night in theater, and that means there's no shows. And so, on Sundays, everybody splits town because they have to be back on Tuesday for a show. So, everybody's gone, and I'm like, man, I'm alone in Berkeley, and man, life sucks. And then the next day is when I see the effects of the injuries begin. It's also the first time I really looked in a mirror. <laughs> Go and look in the bathroom mirror, and I seriously almost barf because I couldn't bear the horrifying sight. Uh, my entire left side of my face was swollen. My eye was swollen shut. I looked like Charles Lawton's Quasimodo. Now, don't think of Lon Chaney's Quasimodo from, like, the 20s, because he was a hideous monster, but Charles Lawton's Quasimodo was this really gross, puffy face, but really kind of sweet-looking guy. I kind of looked like that, but with a lot of the sweetness taken out and just more blood and grossness. My eye had been hammered shut, uh, I had stitches above and below it. My entire left side of my face was just a giant scrape. And I remember they were picking a lot of gravel. So I have no idea if these dudes just dragged my face across the sidewalk or what. My lips were completely swollen out of all proportion. I looked like two guys. It was really gross. Uh, it, yeah, oh, I was right. Uh, and I was like, fuck, I'm fucked. Fuck, 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 fuck. What do I do? And they gave me the option. They came to see me the next morning, that morning, and they gave me the option. They're like, you can go home. We'll find an understudy to ride the rest of this thing out. Or, you know, you don't have to stay here. This is a horrifyingly traumatic experience you've just been through. And I was like, fuck that. If I go home, bullshit wins. And I will not have bullshit win on me. I'm from Detroit. We do not stay down. So I was like, fuck, I'm going to be, what is it, Monday? Yeah, it was Monday, and I was like, I'm going to be back in the show on Wednesday. And they're like, there's no way you're going to go back in the show. And what are you, an idiot? Like, look at you, you can barely talk. And I was like, I'm going to be back in the show on Wednesday, man. So uh, I had a meeting with the costumer later that day. Uh, they made a for, sort of a veil slash patch to go over this side of my face because we had student matinees and they didn't want me to horrify the little children that had come to watch the bard uh, with puppets nonetheless. Uh, and so they had this thing for me and uh, I also 
That's when I started getting laid on this whole trip, which God bless the girls of Northern California, or just girls in general, because I love you ladies. Uh, But I guess because I I just was so, like, what happened to this poor guy? He's from somewhere else. Let me suck his dick. It'll It'll make everything okay. And it did. It made everything okay. Because I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. But fuck. Like, I banged like three different girls during the next two weeks because they took pity on me and they were all beautiful and I was like it's the most I ever got laid in a row guys by even when I was dating somebody I didn't fuck that much so dudes if you want to get some tail no don't go through what I do uh, it was horrifying uh, but I got back in the show by Wednesday uh, i somehow through the power of just fussing fuck you to the bullshit of random street crimes and dudes having to do what they need to do in order to improve their life and me just being a privileged white asshole fucking going up a shitty side street uh fuck it like bad stuff happens uh it's not my fault it's not their fault those dudes are in a fucking situation i can't even begin to understand so I never really went to any therapy for it. I didn't turn into some weird racist. I'm a little hinky if there's a group of people walking behind me, but all I gotta do is go like, hey, and they're gone. Uh, Or they're just like, hi, mister. Uh, And it's like, everything turned out okay. So uh, you know what, guys? Bad shit happens. Fuck it. Keep moving forward. You are who you are, and... uh, Thank you for listening to my story. I took a plane, I took a train. Ah, who cares? You always end up in the city. I said to call, look up for one See just how the sun sets in the sky I said to John, do you think the girls here Ever wonder how they got so pretty? Oh, well, I do Look out upon the myriad That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is the new Pornographers behind me now, and we just heard from Lucky Yates. I'll let you know where Risk is coming next on September 20th. We are at NYU Bookstore. That will be a book signing and book reading. So come on out if you're in New York to NYU Bookstore on September 20th. On October 4th, we are in Denver, Colorado. October 4th, come on out, Denver. We will be at the Bluebird Theater. And, you know, you can look us up at risk-show.com slash tour to get your tickets. On October 20th, we're back in Los Angeles at the Bootleg Theater. That will be a scary stories show. And let's see. On October 25th, we will finally return to Caveat in New York City in Manhattan on October 25th at Caveat. 
On November 14th, we're having a very special show. We're going to team up with Body Storytelling from San Francisco, the show that is hosted by Dixie De La Tour. And so Dixie and I will be hosting a risk slash body show at the Bell House on November 14th. The theme of the stories that night is pervert. If you want to be in that show, if you have a good kinky or perverted sort of story you want to share with us, you know where to reach us. We're at pitches at risk-show.com, and you can learn all about how to pitch us at risk-show.com slash submissions. Remember, we're looking also for scary stories for our Halloween episode and winter holiday stories for our winter holiday episode. So that is all at risk-show.com slash submissions. Also, if you're interested in storytelling training, whether it's one-on-one over Skype or in group workshops or downloading our video tutorials online that is all to be found at the storystudio.org we even do corporate workshops where we teach staffs of businesses how to communicate more emotionally more humanly and speak in a more narrative sort of way that is all at the storystudio.org folks today's the day Take a risk. the risk book people who have ordered the risk book there's megan bright and shalane there's ari jensen and Lene ramirez and ali horrell and that's it that's it that that's all the names that there are to read, which means motherfuckers keep ordering the risk book for crying out loud. I've, what am I going to have to read three names every week? Order the book, get lots of copies for, you know, your friends and loved ones. And then review the risk book on Amazon.